Lucas, creator and executive producer, assembled a team of film craftsmen, led by British director Richard Marquand, to bring his story and its complex action and special effects sequences to the screen, and producer Howard Kazanjian, whose wide range of responsibilities included establishing the Jedi Creature Department, under the leadership of special effects and stop-motion animator Phil Tippett, whose task was the creation of what was to become the largest collection of creatures and aliens ever assembled for a film. The curious thing about this shot is that we, we really have not had a lot of experience doing this kind of work. We built the crew up primarily of people that had worked at ILM in the effects facility. We hired model makers and sculptors, people that could do the machine work to achieve the articulation. And then we hired other local people that had experience in building and fabricating costumes. You usually don't hire people without professional experience, but a 19-year-old kid who had quite a few talents that he picked up and taught himself in school became a very valuable asset and member of the team. When we first started doing design work on Jedi, we just started making monsters, and just making just weird and horrible monsters. While designing a lot of the work, we really tried to depart as far as we could from what you've seen before. We were thinking of things that look weird, different compilations of animal forms stuck together and rearranged. It's called a lot of little busts and plasticine clay. And from those, George would choose those that he liked or say he wanted some changes. Based on those, we would decide how big a creature would be, what kind of articulation it would have, and start working out the possible relationships of size to other people. <laughs> Probably uh, pick up the phone, right? Hello, hello. Is this Benson or zero seven six zero? Wait, is this Regal Robot and Tom Spina designs Tom Spina? It, it is. My my Spina sense was tingling, and I, I felt like I had to be here. I don't know. I have no idea what's happening, uh, but I just knew that it was important, and that I that I had to call this number. We've we've done this joke so many times, but but gosh dang it, it's still gold. That's <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you say old? Because uh, yeah, depending on interpretations. Yeah, that's how we spell gold in Michigan. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, so all right, everybody, welcome to episode number three hundred and forty-three of Blast Points. This is Jason? This is Gabe, and apparently, this is Tom Spina. 343. 343. And 340 of those were with you, Tom. So, this <laughs> probably. Well, and I'm just trying to think like math wise, we're trying 343 episodes uh, times the length of each episode. That's like, oh gosh, 30,000 hours of podcast time, I think, is, is how that breaks out, right? Like each one's probably a good, you know, 80, 100 hours, I think. Yeah. No, we, we regret nothing. We regret nothing. So, uh, 
Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight. Tonight we are talking about the the creators of the creatures of Return of the Jedi. We've done episode. We did an episode last summer as a companion piece to the incredible panel from Celebration Anaheim, which mm. was the place to be. I hear that. Where we t- we talked about all the creatures of Jabba's palace, and now we're mm-hmm. t- kind of turning our focus to the creators of the creatures of Jabba's palace, which would you have a little bit of experience with? A little bit, yeah. And and in particular, we're really looking at the designers of the creatures. And you know, we'll certainly talk, I'm sure, a little about the creators, like the the fabricators and and stuff like that. I almost feel that's its own episode. Uh, after this, I suspect there's there's room for that too. But yeah, in this case, we're we're going to really go in depth and try and figure out what brain leaked out each of these creatures and monsters and uh and how how some of them came to be when we did our companion piece to the the panel from celebration you you would you were mentioning some of the names of the people yeah who designed some of these amazing aliens but since then because we did that like what in june or july or something since then your information on just who made what who designed what that has exploded you know so there's about 90 creatures that were designed for return of the jedi not all of those got used but um most of them um and and this is you know when i say 90 were were designed that that means 90 of them made the concept maquette phase that is where someone did a small clay sculpture, usually in something like Sculpey, or sometimes a mixed media fabricated piece, things like that, and made a three-dimensional interpretation of what that alien could be. My company, Regal Robot, has been doing a line of replicas based on those maquettes. Uh, we have been going to the Lucasfilm archives. We have been uh, spending time at Skywalker Ranch, which just, you know, pinch me? How is this happening in my life? We have been 3D scanning, high-resolution scanning these uh, wonderful little sculptures and putting out recreations of them. So anybody who's listening, go to the Regal Robot webpage, go to the Star Wars section, then go to the archive collection. Uh, That's where you're going to see these things. And tomorrow, when this comes out, it'll be a Tuesday. So the following day, Wednesday, the 1st of uh, February, you will be able to order the Reese maquette. That's a signature edition, and we'll tell you whose signature as we get through all of this. Um, but in the process of doing all of these, me being me, <laughs> I wasn't just satisfied to say, hey, that's a cool creature. I needed to know more about every single one of them. Um, and the big thing I wanted to know was, who did this? Uh, whose fault is this? How did this happen? <laughs> it's been this wonderful process going through examining the different ones. Uh, sometimes there are clues on the piece itself. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's literally nothing identifying about them. And uh, then it's down to the memories of the great artists who worked on the movie. And I feel so lucky to know enough of them to, uh, to uh, you know, chat and bounce ideas off them. And they are so patient and tolerant with me because I can't tell you how many times I have sent them, you know, 
a revised list of photos of these ridiculous creatures from, you know, 40 plus years ago that they did this work going like, okay, but what about this one? Any idea who did that? Or was this you? This looks like yours. Could this be yours? Could this be so-and-so? And just back and forth and, and, you know, putting together tidbits from one person saying, oh, that looks like so-and-so's work. Then go to that person. It's like, oh no, you know what? That's not mine, but you know what? This one is mine. Oh, okay. And then like, oh, it's just, there's nothing better for, for us as been me and Rob at the shop. Mostly there's just, there's no better feeling than, than being able to put one of these into a category to be able to take one and go like, Oh, Phil Tippett did that. Or, you know, Oh, this person did that. And, and it's pretty amazing. I think out of, like I said, about 90 of these for return of the Jedi, I want to say 80 plus of them, we figured out who sculpted and, and, that's a really cool feeling. Yeah, that's just awesome because we, the, like these these are things we've been looking at in books for decades. We've never known. We know the names of the people that were in the shop. There's never been that connection, connecting thread of who designed what. And then when you step back and you know that, and that's kind of what we're going to be doing in this episode – so-and-so designed that, then they also designed that. And then you, it gets really fun because then you start to see patterns of style. Yeah. Oh, that is that artist's style. And that is that artist's style. And that's kind of the, the neat thing about Return of the Jedi and the creatures of Return of the Jedi, that there are so many different and varied styles. Yeah, you don't have that thing that happens in a lot of movies where there is an obvious single designer and all the creatures feel like they've come out of the same brain. This is a, a wide, wild variety of beasts and pretty darn cool to boot. You know, and and prior to getting into the archives, like you were saying, the books were really our first pathway into these. Other than, obviously, from Star Wars to Jedi, the making of a saga and classic creatures, Return of the Jedi uh, documentary. You know, certainly there were looks at them there and the uh, from Star Wars to Jedi is the that is the mountaintop of these maquettes. It's that that there's that panning shot with probably all 90 of them lined up and interspersed in between them. Phil Tippett's Tauntaun concept heads and the miniature stop motion figures for the skiffs uh, in the in the. uh sort of establishing shots of the skiff flying in. And then I think there's one or two other shots of the second skiff flying around. And they have stop motion figures of all of the characters that are on those skiffs. Those little figures are in that panning shot, but everything else is these creatures designed, you know, all the creature designs for the movie. And it's just, it's so cool looking through that shot. And it's so cool looking at that shot now, having seen so many of them in person and things that you only saw half of in there or you saw the front of, but not the back where you didn't know quite what you were looking at because some of these things are freaking weird. Um, now it's like you look at it and it's familiar and it's just, it, it's such a wild feeling. Man. More than 80 creatures lurked in the shadows of Jabba's palace. That's more monsters by far than have ever been assembled for a single movie. They all began to take shape like this, as small models called maquettes. Most of them were sculpted over and over again before they were approved. A team of 15 artists, aided by other craftsmen, worked 13 months 
the last six of them on a day and night basis, to translate the maquettes into full-scale clay models of puppets and masks. You know, and, and the other look at these was those books. Um, you know, specifically, the two that come to mind for me are from Star Wars uh, to Indiana Jones, the best of the Lucas film archives, and of course, the Star Wars Chronicles. And then there is also uh, one beautiful shot of a table full of maquettes in the Art of Return of the Jedi book, um, which we only kind of rediscovered just this year. I was like flipping through and going like, oh, my gosh. You know? <laughs> and, and there's like some rare ones in there, too. There's ones you don't even really see elsewhere. So that from uh, from Star Wars, Indiana Jones, the best of the Lucasfilm Archives book came out. That's mid 90s. I, I got that pretty shortly after it came out, but I had no idea it was out. Nobody knew anything like that ever was coming out. It, you you either happened upon it in a bookstore or you never got it. You know? And I was actually very lucky. My, uh, my late father had passed it in a bookstore. And uh, I, it, it was a time where I had I'd been in a, a car accident. I was in a hospital for about two weeks. It was a, I was excruciatingly boring. I was also in a bit of pain. So that wasn't fun either. But there, I mean, there was just, you know, I think there was, uh, I didn't have a TV the first few days because I was in the the ICU for a while. It was just like, it was not a great experience. But about halfway through that run, he came in and was like, hey, I found this at the bookstore, you know, one of those. And it was like, huh, where the hell did this come from? And, you know, talk about like, you know, spirits being lifted for me, that book, holy crap, that was an insane thing to, you know, I, I imagine most folks now who pick up this book have an idea about what it is. They've heard someone talk about it. They've seen a review. They've gone on Amazon or wherever, and they've you know flipped through some pages digitally or whatever. This literally handed to me completely out of the blue. I'm out of the blue at the time. I was totally out of it. <laughs> and, and it's just like, is this real? What am I like? This is uh, an entire book of photographs of the Lucasfilm archives covering all the Indiana Jones trilogy and all of the Star Wars trilogy. This is this is insane. How does this exist? And I was, you know, I hear I'm, I'm a guy who is obsessed with monsters and masks and obsessed with replicating props and things like that. And this was like the most amazing reference book in the world um, at the time. And so, yeah, that was. That was just such a mind-blowing gift and really like it's one of these these um moments that I just hold on to because wow. Yeah, I don't want to say it was almost worth being in the hospital for, but <laughs> it, <laughs> in the end, maybe it almost was worth being in the hospital for. Almost. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm all right with that. Yeah. Uh it all worked out in the end. That's right. Well, you know, what's really funny is like, you know. I don't know that I would have wandered into a bookstore in that particular span of time that that would have been there. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I was going out and going to bookstores every day, working and whatever else. Um, I think I was in college at the time. Probably, yeah, it would have been my last semester. Like, yeah, it was just very, very weird circumstance. I do remember the for the Chronicles, I happened upon that at it was at a comic book store 
So there, there was your real chance to get exposed to something like this. But there was a place called, it's a Muck Time Toys. They are still around. Uh, Paul and the gang over there are outstanding. If you love old vintage toys and even new stuff, they're great, great folks to deal with. But uh, I, Paul had a copy of the Japanese version of the Chronicles at the shop. I mean, there's another mind-blowing moment the first time you flip through that book. Like, if you thought the first book was great, this is just like, wow. And he asked around, and I think he was the one who tracked down that they were coming out with an English version and managed to to get me and a friend of mine a copy of it. Um, I think even at the time, though, it was like a $100 book. It was not – it was never a cheap book. I don't know what the, the Chronicles goes for now, but when it comes to Star Wars prop reference and, and vintage photos and stuff, that's, that's a tough one to beat. I don't know. Is there a better just straight – you know, visual reference than that book? Probably not. I mean, they, they had, wasn't there was a, a newer one with just some of the models with ships and things. Right. But the, but not one that kind of has everything in it. Like the Chronicles book did. Yeah. Yeah. Sculpting a galaxy, I think. Um, yeah. Was one of them. Um, I mean, yeah, there's definitely, there have been some amazing books, some great stuff, but yeah, that's still to me is the gold standard. It's yeah. oof. I could not remember wh- how I got my original trilogy Chronicles book. I think I, it's you know it's like I just stumbled upon it in the woods or something one day or something. <laughs> <laughs> it fell from the sky, right? <laughs> but I know th- the prequels uh, Chronicles book, which some people like when I've talked to like I, I talk about like oh yeah, and then the prequels Chronicles book is just as insane, and they're like wait there was a prequels Chronicles book. I got that from Insider, and mine is autographed by Sansweet and Pablo. Oh, that's great. But I think both of them were Christmas gifts because, like you said, they were, like, expensive. And this was, like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. So, But at least they're big and, they're big and heavy, so they feel like they should be expensive. You need to have, like, a, a special table to open them on when you want to look at them. Yeah, the, the the cool thing about the Chronicles when it comes to the Return of the Jedi creatures is it takes each creature and it shows you usually a photo or two or three of the final prop or mask or character or whatever, uh, some, you know, or their, their hands and things like that. Um, but usually the inset photos are one, two, or three of the uh, Polaroids from the production, uh, from the uh, production Bible. So the production Bible had a series of Polaroids in it, and those were all of the maquettes. And that was how they were keeping track of what creature is what, who's getting made, things like that. So, you know, you when you look through this book, you see like, you know, for example, Rees, and then it goes, It's it's got a couple of little insets of, the Rees maquette and what the concept sketch was basically. And, um, and it's really neat. I always love seeing, you know, one, I love what could have been. I always love the unmade creatures, you know, of course, but I, I love seeing how did this go from point A to point B? What was, what were the sacrifices they had to make to make it practical as a, as a physical costume or, you know, what was the interpretation where someone said, that's a cool design, but, I'm going to do it this way, you know, and, and what, what did that, what was that? How did that happen? What does that look like? I always, I I, I love exploring that sort of stuff. Molds were made from the clay models. From these, the monstrous faces and forms took shape in latex and rubber. Painting was painstaking. 
The creatures had to have that lived-in look. Maybe they were not of this earth, but they had to seem as if they were of some earth somewhere. The young Frankensteins frequently cracked up each other. It was a way of easing the strain of a long, hard job. Right, on that note, should we get started with uh, digging in on just who made what and how things happened? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, well, do you want me? Uh, let me rattle off who we don't know sculptors for because I find that kind of fascinating too. For the most part, uh, most of the kind of known characters we've figured out who sculpted them. The only really known character we don't know who sculpted is. The Wall Cabochite uh, guy, um, the the guy who tries to lick C three PO. Other than him, or or it, <laughs> um, there is there's like an Ewok on a glider that we. Um, I think Dave Carson said he thinks it's Joe Johnson, but other than that, anything else that's not identified are pretty random. There's this weird smiling ram head guy. There's this big bulky humanoid doing the keep on trucking stance. There's a big amoeba with eye stalks, a little white alien bust that looks a little like Ultraman. There's a weird family. uh, It's called Roly Poly Family, but it looks, at least at the archives, that's what they call it. It looks like a weird dolphin or whale coming out of the water and a whole bunch of little babies around them uh, with trails behind each baby. It's very (laughs) weird. Was there any that no one wanted to take credit for and they just kept saying everyone said it was someone else because no one wanted to admit that that was theirs? I suspect that white alien is one of those. <laughs> so, you know, here's something that's interesting, too, though. Uh, there's a, a very small number of these that aren't in the From Star Wars to Jedi panning shot. And I always wondered if that might indicate that they were either from a different production or if they just, you know, for whatever reason, didn't make it in. We were very lucky that Phil had kept some photos from behind the scenes in the office where they would have a meeting. And in the back wall of that office was was a bunch of shelves with all of the maquettes on them. And so there were the that little white alien guy. There's another, there's two white aliens, one that's a bust and one that's standing with his arm out. And the standing one looks very cocoon. And I, we couldn't find those in the From Star Wars to Jedi panning shot, uh, but they did turn up on those shelves. And ultimately, we did connect with one of the sculptors who remembered sculpting one of them, but refused to take ownership of the one that uh, the, the bust one. Pretty goofy looking. So I don't know. I always wondered. I'm like, is that really theirs? And they're just not saying so. Um, so we'll have to see. Let's go to Joe Johnston. Okay. Yeah, that's a, you know Joe Johnston is a great place to start. Yeah, always. <laughs> we right now we've only attributed one to him, and uh, Judy Elkins actually. So she fabricated the wall cabochet. She actually thinks that Joe might have done the maquette for him too. And I've yet to talk to Joe about these, so I'm gonna have to try and try and do that someday. I know he did a sketch of that guy. Um, so that could be why she's thinking that, but who knows? Phil wasn't sure if Joe had done any uh, three-dimensional stuff, but we do know that he did the uh, Princess Leia Bausch or Boosh costume. Do you, are you guys Team Bausch or Team Boosh? Boosh. 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 Okay. <laughs> Boosh. All right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we're, we're, we're Boosh. Boosh. 
I don't know. I, I always said Bausch as a kid, and so it stuck with me. You guys on the you guys you East Coast guys say Bausch. We're, over here in the Midwest, we're Boosh. <laughs> <laughs> it just all comes back to that. Hey, Bausch. You know what I mean? So uh, next up. Uh, with with two of them, and this is interesting because these are ones that didn't turn up in the From Star Wars to Jedi panning shot. There are two creatures in the archives that are are very similar looking, and they look a lot like the Marauders in the Ewoks movie. Oh, like a lot, a lot like them. Enough like them to go like, oh, okay. So either these were made for the Ewoks movie. Or they were leftover designs from Jedi and used in the Ewoks movie. And it turns out John Berg was the one who sculpted both of these. I'm very lucky to know him and chat with him on a pretty regular basis. And so that this was one of the ones where once I had good photos of him, I just showed him to John and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I sculpted those. They were made for the Ewok movie. It wasn't for Return of the Jedi. So it's like, OK, that at least explains why they're not in the panning shot. You know, that also explains why they look so much like the guys in the Ewoks movie. Because they are. <laughs> yep. Next up are a couple that uh, Dan Howard did. And it's possible he did more. Unfortunately, he's deceased. Uh, he died uh, died um, quite, quite a while back now, I think. And um, he was a fabricator. He did a lot of the full-size builds. And by fabricator, I mean not a guy who was doing a lot of clay sculpting and molding and casting. More someone that would take... Uh, foam and um, rubber pieces and, and you know, uh, glue them together and cut them and, and pattern them into the the bigger creatures, things like a man a man and Droopy McCool and stuff like that. Um, stuff that didn't get molded and cast, but rather was just crafted. He's got a couple, and it's funny. I'm going to look. So there is the Smithsonian issue uh, from... Was it uh, October 1990 that has a bunch of maquettes on the cover? If you look at that, in the dead center in the front is uh, one called Apple Slug that looks like Slimer peeling his own face off. That was made by Kirk Thatcher. And to the left of that, uh, looking at it, is this very weird bulbous-headed guy. This is a little bit Cthulhu-looking, but... That is, uh, I believe the archives calls him Bubblehead, and that's one of Dan's. There's another one that he did that uh, they call Helmet Head uh, that is very similar, similarly designed. I would bet it is in the return, the uh, the panning shot uh, from from Star Wars to Jedi. In fact, I'm sure it's in there. Um, and he looks like um, he just looks like he has a very slit visor, his long neck, flat head. Kind of looks like a like a sock puppet. From that angle, almost <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah. Like, um, I, I have a feeling that Dan probably did one or two others, uh, but you know, unfortunately, with yeah, no, nobody else was a hundred percent sure, and those were the only two that we found his initials on. So, th- you know, that was a nice way to confirm that you know, we we haven't marked anything confirmed unless we've you know either had more than one person identify it as someone else's work or the original sculptor identify it as their own work, or we've found initials on it or some other paper trail. I'm going to, we're going to go past Chris Wayless because he's got a lot. I'm going to pass Ken Ralston too. Let's go to Kirk. With Kirk, we have the Apple Slug, the first one we mentioned there. 
Um, in that same photo from the uh, the Smithsonian, and if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, go look up the Smithsonian Magazine, October 1990. The, the photo's out there. It's a beautiful cover filled with these Return of the Jedi creatures, including one of the white aliens I was talking about on the uh, kind of middle right there. So in this shot, though, you have the apple slug in the center. To the right of the apple slug, sitting in what looks like a garbage can, is something they call the hot tub creature. And that was uh, another one of Kirk Thatcher's designs. Uh, there is also, and the clicking in the background is me calling up the different reference book photos to of, of where to send folks. But in the From Star Wars to Jedi book, uh, sorry, not from Star Wars to Jedi, from Star Wars to Indiana Jones book, they have one, and I think they identify him as Hole in the Head prototype. Yep, it's called Hole in the Head prototype. That is Kirk's third one. And it's tough to tell from the front view, but when you turn him sideways, he has a giant hole in his head. So that's that's how they came up with the imaginative name for that fella. And I, I like the, the Kirk stuff, too, because, like, of course, these are Kirk Thatcher because they're totally wild. Oh, yeah. Apple slug, the hot tub guy. It's just nuts. I, I want to say at the, the panel, it was 2 p.m. in the Twin Suns room. The place to be. Didn't he? He was talking about his that his designs were just totally nuts, and I think he knew it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, you got to give credit. I mean, I even just looking at these for you know an eighteen year old kid coming up with these, like that's pretty damn good. Yeah. And and the imaginative kind of approach on the guy in the hot tub too is just bizarre design. Like it's as a creature, it's bizarre, but then that he. Gave him an environment is really a nice touch. Moving on to other people with fewer ones, um, we've got Wesley Seeds also uh, who, who had passed away. He designed Ruby McCool. We know that just because uh, a number of the people remembered that that was one of his designs. Um, unfortunately, we no one could remember if he did any others. I, it's another one like you know maybe some of those missing ones, maybe maybe one of those is, uh, or more are his. Tom Sanamon did a handful, what was called the Cane Heads. Was it Cane and Addis? Was the final names there? Or? Yeah, the, the big long neck giraffe things that are swooping around in the background of Jabba's Palace. Yeah, I always remember those shots of Phil painting them and stuff like that. Um, but he, he did those. What's great is there is a black and white photo of him sculpting the, the two Cane Heads, actually. And in the background, is what looks to be the cane heads, but it's in all black. It's like the emperor cane heads. I'm looking at it and I'm just like, you know, what's going on there? Uh, so I sent him the picture just to ask him about something else because there's a, a few little maquettes in front of him, uh, one of which is missing. It's this little kind of grumpy looking dude. I don't, I, it's tough to describe and it's, it's a very blurry shot, but unfortunately that one's lost the time. But he, he writes back and he says, oh, uh, behind me is the first draft of the cane heads. I put them in the oven to bake the Sculpey. I left to do something else and I didn't come back in time and they burnt to a crisp. So I had to redo them. Wow. <laughs> There's nothing worse than that feeling as an artist to, to have worked so hard on something. And then you make one goof, the mold breaks, something goes wrong and you have to start over like, Oh, it's the worst. 
Especially when they end up being one of the cooler creatures that you can, can't even see in the movie. So it's like a double, double, double trauma. <laughs> yeah. um, and then he did, um, which is a surprisingly E.T.-ish design uh, when you when it's in the abstract, when it's just on its own, uh, is Pruneface. You know, more than a few people have, you know, now that we have the 3D scan of it, we've been we've been tinkering with that one. And more than a couple of people at the shop are like, did they use that for E.T.? And I'm like, no, it's a totally different thing. But, yeah, there's a there's definitely a bit of that vibe there. Maybe when E.T. grows up, he grows up into a prune face. Maybe. <laughs> um, in uh, I'm sure this next guy turns up in the in the panning shot. He's also in the um, art of. Return of the Jedi book. He is in the middle, mid-ground on the mid-right. He's a little angular-headed guy, uh, kind of a conehead-looking guy. And uh, the archives calls him Happy Head for some reason, which is hilarious because he just looks to be screaming in agony or something. <laughs> Tom Sandemann, who, who made it, actually said he thinks there used to be fangs on the top, too, and that they must have broken off. Which makes him make a little more sense when you look at him with that expression. <laughs> that he's a little more like, <sighs> but it's still pretty cool. Uh, let's see, who's next? How about Judy? So Judy, who at the shop, Robin, I can't mention without turning into Judy Tenuta and just, you know, Judy, Judy, Judy. Did you guys miss Judy Tenuta? Is this? No, no, we know Judy Tenuta. Oh. I'm sure all of our listeners, I'm sure that joke is landing 100%. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the the great the great Judy Elkins. That's absolutely. She is so fun too. She's she's definitely proud of her time. I don't even proud isn't the right word. Like I think she just appreciates the time that she had working on this and the Star Trek movies and all of this other stuff. And um, I had. Such a great chat with her the last time we talked. And um, I, I'm really looking forward to, you know, so for every one of these maquette releases we do, we have been doing, uh, I have been doing these interviews. And and uh, basically, it's it's more of, it's not even an interview. It's just kind of like a conversation with uh, these various creature creators and designers and, and getting just their stories and, and talking about you know, what, what inspired them, what got them going, what they did on this movie, what they did elsewhere. And, you know, we just put up the ones with Chris Wayless. So if anybody wants to go to uh, the Blast Points podcast page, there is the Blast Points presents, presents Tom Spina talking with Chris Wayless for an hour plus. Um, and it's, it's a fun chat. Chris, Chris was really good. His memory is great. He, I love his talk about process and things like that too. His answers for for what makes a great monster were like among my favorites. Yeah, it was a really good talk. And then if you want to see the video versions of those, you can go to the Regal Robot YouTube page or the Tom Spina Designs YouTube page. There's various versions of it, the full length, and then some cut downs that kind of focus more on Star Wars and stuff. I can't wait to do the one with Judy, though, because I I know that we're going to have so much fun. um, And she's so entertaining. It's going to be a really good time. So... Why don't why don't you take us like do you want to kind of go go creature by creature here which ones move you guys and I'll I'll fill in any blanks I'll go I'm a sucker for the yuzum me too he's furry he's got long skinny legs he's got incredible shoes which not everyone in Return of the Jedi has he's got a Wallace and Gromit mouth he's just a really really cool <laughs> creature that 
again, we barely got to see in the film. I always remember that shot of them plugging him into the wall and just kind of going like, huh, I guess that's it for him, huh? Yeah. Hang out, buddy. <laughs> I wish so the um, she did this great interpretation of the uh, of Ulad, the the dancer of this with this great like bent back pose um, and there's feathers glued to her body and stuff. But unfortunately, that one's lost to time. No one seems to know what happened to it. Uh, Phil Tippett did a take on Ula that uses this, a similar brown tone, and it's it's got the head tails like that. I almost wonder his is. I think his was a bust, though. I almost wonder if his isn't the top half of this, where someone was like, "Oh well, this part's good," and just you know. But I I don't recall. I mean, I I don't think I've ever asked Phil if he did that. I'll have to see. Well, of course, yak face. The maquette on him has something extra that I feel like the final doesn't have, which Judy sculpted the final as well, uh, which is, you know, hundreds of pounds of wed clay, I'm sure, when they were doing it. It seems interesting with the maquette because it's it's way less symmetrical. And like from the yeah. front view, you can't I almost couldn't tell it was yak face because I think so much of like yak face is his silhouette. Rob and I, every time I look at him from the front, I just go like, Hurf. like he just looks like someone mashed him on the nose and he's just, Hurf. you know, but yeah, it's true. It's a wild, that, it's very pinched and squished and very asymmetrical from the front, but his profile is, is spot on on the side view and, and really cool. The toadstool terror, I have to think is like that. I mean, he could almost be a blast points mascot. <laughs> like, like I could see him popping up from behind your logo uh, and is named Terror. And you get Carrie Fisher saying his name. Re-yeast, Toothface, Squidhead, Boobo, six, six, Hermioodle, Yakface, the Toadstool Terror, Rock, Wart, Nikto, Weeba Weeba, Ulan, Woof. I worked with all those creatures, had lunch with them, let some of them borrow my hair dryer. And then... Uh, the, her final one was, you tell me, what, what's your impression? What, what do you guys call this guy? Ferengi. Everybody does. <laughs> <laughs> it's a humanoid kind of face, like more so than the Toadstool Terror and Yuzum and Yak face. It's more like, and by humanoid, it's got two eyes, nose, a mouth, two ears, and like a head. But it's got giant ears and like sharp teeth and just there's the nose. There's just something very Ferengi about it. Heavy brow. He he is neat. And and yeah, in the from Star Wars to Jedi panning shot, it's tough to miss him. You know, he he's bright yellow right in the middle next to uh, an Ewok and in front of uh, Mon. He's one of those ones that uh, there's more to him when you get to see him in person. He's actually got little bits of tech like diodes and uh, and capacitors and things stuck on the back of his head with some hair braids around it and like earrings and things like that. Um, I want to say the archives calls him earring head. And I'm just like, I feel like that misses the mark. I, you know, like, I feel like like that's not the takeaway. <laughs> that I have on that guy. Well, it's it's funny looking at the Judy Elkins collection here of Yuzum, the Ula, Ferengi, Yakface, and Toadstool Terror. And like, if we're gonna like, well, what what is the Judy Elkins like creature style? 
There isn't one. No, like you could say that like Yuzum and Toadstool Terror are almost kind of more Muppetish. Yeah, something kind of Muppety about them. But then you have like the Ferengi and Uwa and yeah, and Gagface is just what the heck is that? You know, similarly, I'm gonna I'm gonna where is where's Dave Carson? So Dave has a bunch. This is a good next step up, um, but. Dave's whole style is no style as well. You know, I, I think he even said at one point there was, uh, I had sent him one of them and he was like, yeah, that looks like my lack of style. Uh, was, uh, and then there were some other ones where I said and literally got, I don't know what I was thinking. You know? <laughs> but he still wouldn't take, he still wouldn't take credit for that white alien bust. He took credit for the standing alien who, again, you see very clearly on that, the Smithsonian cover. But yeah, he's not owning up to the to the other one. We did luck out. His Bib Fortuna concept uh, actually had his initials on the bottom, which that's one of my favorites, I think. He's in the pr- purple robes. He's almost a little Barada looking or something in the face, maybe. It's like, that's a really, really cool maquette. That one has like a lot of character just in the facial expression. Yeah, yeah. You know, some of them kind of look like maquettes, and this looks like he's actually like thinking. He's shifty. Like you yeah. just look at him, you're like, he's got the hunch, he's got his head turned, he's got the eye to the left like that, and a little bit of a little bit of an arch in the brow, and it's just like, oh man, yeah, that guy is that guy's up to no good. You know, though, as much as there is like some some wild like no style style in this, but I look at like the Gamorian guards that Dave Carson designed, and then side by side with the Barada that Dave Carson designed, he's doing full body figures almost, and they all have like the a great stance to them, and they they're kind of they're animal people. Well, yeah, I, you know, the, it, talking about great stances, I mean the. There are three Gamorrean guards. Go to the from Star Wars to Indiana Jones book, folks. Um, there's the three of them side by side, and the the there's the sort of skinny one with the hood, kind of an executioner looking guy. I think he's got like a cat of nine tails kind of whip and everything. That one's pretty neat, but pretty static. And then you have this other one that looks like he's taking a heavy step forward. He's got this lumbering hand in front of him and his axe behind his back. And it's just the body English on that thing is amazing. Which you think of the you think of the Gamorrean guards and so much of how we identify the Gamorrean guards is how they move. Yeah. And that was like as much as we love the shirtless Gamorreans in Book of Boba Fett, it took a minute because they were lean and mean Gamorreans. They weren't the big lumbering Gamorreans that we were used to from from Jedi. Yeah. I love there's that footage that we I think we got to show it where where Phil is showing the guy how to walk and he's basically giving him animation pointers. You know, <laughs> he's just like, like, lean up, point the toe, land, squash, lean over, you know, and he's he's yeah, he's doing the squash and stretch, but in real life with someone. But that's what paid off. You know, that's what made them read so well in the movie is those, those actors and mime artists were embodying these things with weight. Because, you know, I think Phil even says like, you know, you got to think you're a big, heavy monster, you know, like that's the and it's and you can see it in that. Um, and it's really cool. Dave's bust of the Gamorrean is one of my favorites. 
which I'm going to say like 80 more times. Um, but but it really yeah, one of your top 80 picks. One of my top 80. It's in the it's 100 it's definitely in the top 80. Um 85 would be the floor. The it's it is so troll like and rough. I don't know. There's there's something really cool about it. Um, and I, I think that's the one that Kirk was saying, you know, he saw Dave sculpting the full size and he was sculpting it more like the head from the walking maquette. It was a little smoother. It wasn't as rough. And Kirk was like, oh, I like this mean looking one and kind of, uh, you know, better. And I think David said to him, I think this one will make a better toy. <laughs> um, and he wasn't wrong. How great was that Kenner figure? Oh, yeah. Who else do we have? Hoover. Made, but never really made it in the movie, but they did make a full size of them. Uh, Nine Numb, which is pretty much spot on to the final. His his design is, I mean, there's not a lot different there. He's just uh, naked. He's, he seems so naked. <laughs> <laughs> it's Nine Numb in the bathtub is, is the only difference. Right. He just needs some bubbles around him. And it's just yeah. it's like, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll leave. I'm sorry. Right, right. People have probably seen most of those. If you have the Chronicles, I'm sure that's in there. Uh, the white alien guy is going to be on the cover of the Smithsonian Magazine off on the right. Let's see here. Who else? Barada is on that same cover. Tall and skinny. A lot of those were built over, you know, those little wooden armature figures, like the artist figures, like very plain. They usually have little paddle hands and feet. They're nothing fancy. Um a lot of the full-size guys were just built on those. Wow. These little $5 um, artist figures. But uh, And then he's got a blue version of the dancer, uh, the blue and white feathered lady. That one's kind of neat. The last one, it looks like something out of the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> he's it's like, like... It's like a werewolf wearing flip-flops. <laughs> well, he's got like a samurai outfit on. Like he's wearing samurai armor. So I guess those are supposed to be, you know, samurai shoes or something, not necessarily flip-flops. But, yeah, he's like a cartoon werewolf wearing samurai armor and flip-flops and, like, it looks like a pair of jeans. I don't – this was one of the I don't know what I was thinking ones. Um, so he, he looks like a boss from, like, a, like a Nintendo game. Yes! Like, I, I don't know. I'm fighting some giant werewolf in blue jeans. I don't know what's going on. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm never going to get to level six. I uh, <laughs> like, a, like a 90s overly extreme werewolf. Yeah. Yeah. This is, it's very, to me, I know something, there was a line of real Ghostbusters figures where like they had scare features and stuff, you know, in the, in the late eighties. And I feel like he would fit right in with that. <laughs> but you gotta, you gotta hand it to Dave Carson though. I mean, Barada, the Gamorians, the nine numb, the, those have become, just classics of star wars aliens you know and dave carson wild wild designs for all of those yeah and the and the little white alien guy wound up in cocoon <laughs> i'm saying little white alien he better show up in mandalorian or something in the end it's gonna be all about the little white alien somebody call us up we got the scan um <laughs> How about we talk about Mr. Ken Ralston? Wonderful. Mr. Ken Ralston, if you go to the Blast Points uh, Presents, I believe, did we did we put Ken Ralston up? 
Yeah, I think that was from, I think it was December. It was the end of 2022. The excellent Ken Ralston episode. He's amazing. He's so fun. There's a humility to uh, to him that, uh, <laughs> is there such a thing as an undeserved humility? <laughs> like It feels like, you know, what's he won? Seven, eight Oscars or something like that? Six, seven Oscars? Like, at some point, you could stop being humble and just kind of like, no, you're amazing, please. Yeah, really, really great guy and incredibly talented sculptor. You know, he's, he's known as a visual effects director, but his sculptures are really good. Um, and going through his, his were actually some of the ones where we didn't have evidence on a few of them. Um, we didn't yet have good photos of them, so we weren't. We run them by him, and he didn't recognize some of them. And then when we got to see them more closely, uh, in particular, so we knew Weequay was his, and we knew Klaatu was his, and they both have very, very high detail, very a very specific style of wrinkles and, and textures and things like that. The way they're carved in, and going from those two. To there's a sort of buzzard-looking guy. Uh, he is in the from Star Wars to Jedi panning shot, but he's hiding behind that werewolf guy and a spider guy. Spider guy is lost to time. Phil thinks that was his, but unfortunately, that's long gone. Uh, but behind him, you see this this little sideways buzzard head poking up, and uh, this other guy who looks a little Admiral Akbar-ish. He's kind of reddish. He's got eyes on stalks. He's wearing a little velvet robe, which is neat. The sculpting style on those two, to us, as soon as we saw him, we were like, this is Ken, 100%. And I think one of them, Rob, even like turned it over and we saw the KR and it was like, there we go. You know, um, you're showing him better photos. He's like, oh, those are definitely mine. And we're like, yeah, we know. There's no way anybody else sculpted this. It's exactly your work. <laughs> but yeah, so we've got Weequay, we've got Klaatu. I mean, those are pretty major major aliens that made the made the cut pote snitkin which is really big he's another one that's built on some sort of uh, a figure it's probably one of those same action you know same artist figures um he's got to be 12 or 15 inches tall rock wart is that uh, no sorry rock lobster i forget his actual name but they called him rock lobster he looks like a weird crustacean on a rock those were all the ones of his that were built. Going from those, you have this wonderful long-necked alien that is on page 243 of the Chronicles. A lot of folks think that the artists must have taken inspiration from that when they were doing the aliens on Camino in episode two, because there's definitely a kind of vibe there. Or even, what, is it even Peel, Evan Peel from... The Jedi Council with the long neck in the first movie? Yariel Poof. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Thank you. I know Evan Peel's the other guy. What was I thinking? <laughs> Evan Peel's the little pink uh, pig Jedi man. Yeah. They're, they're all good ones. So the, you've got this long necked alien guy. Uh, you've got another alien dude with like throwing knives across his chest. Um, only the top half of him exists today. Uh, it actually makes me think this was another situation where somebody was like, we need to see this other guy as a full guy. Take that guy's legs. <laughs> uh, he's got a beautiful dancer sculpt, uh, actually two. 
Uh, one of them is in the Chronicles. Uh, it's on the Ula page, and it's a blue sort of torso only, uh, wearing a, a like a bikini top with silver straps. Really cool, sort of three head tails, kind of going up and back. It's it's a it's a beautiful piece in person. Um, and then the other one is just gorgeous. It's uh, it's from about the chest up, and it is. Um, dark skinned dancer. She's got her hand on her chest and her head back is, you know, almost as if she's shocked by something or disgusted. I don't know. She's got a great coil necklace, uh, and, and multiple head tails coming off the back of her head. Um, really neat in exploration of the dancer there. And then he made a slug for some reason. It is just literally a big shiny slug and it looks gross. <laughs> There's a, a real hunchy lizard looking guy who's kind of cool. And that's another one that when we saw it, we knew it was his from the back. The, the scratchy, the scratchy textures on his back were like exactly like some of the lines on Weekway. Um, and then this other one, again, the, the, he's got these, these warty textures on his back that also show up on Weekway shoulders. It looks like a kind of creature from the Black Lagoonish kind of Lovecraftian, really, really neat fish head guy. That's a really neat one. How, you know, here's something in the From Star Wars to Jedi panning shot. There was something I didn't notice up until just this year. And it is behind the two human Jabba to our left, his right. There's this sort of saxophone plant looking thing coming out behind him. It's orange. It turns out, you know, so we we thought we had discovered it in there. It wasn't in the archives, but it turned out it was at the main house uh, at the ranch. And so they pulled it from the main house for us to, to uh, photo and measure and scan and all of that. Um, and it's really cool. It's It's got a little bit of a Sarlacc-y kind of vibe to it. Um, it was something that Ken did. It had his initials on it and everything. But when we found that Art of Return of the Jedi picture, sure enough, Front and center, literally like right in the front is this weird, planty, saxophone looking guy. Uh, and a lot of people just call that a Sarlacc. I, and I, I I don't know, maybe that's it. Uh, nobody seems to know on the on the production side of it, but uh, certainly could have been part of the inspiration for the Sarlacc. You know, what I love with the Ken Ralston stuff is aside from like the Dave Carson, aside from giving us again long player alien species like the Klaatu, the weak way the some of his maquette sculptures like i think especially his java dancer sculpts and like the the thinker alien that maybe was an inspiration for camino and like that wild potsnikkin and again the Klaatu and the weak way just very subtle just like gestures mm like the way the heads are kind of looking up. Mm-hmm. I get the sense with Ken and even when you interviewed him, he's an amazing artist. He, he can draw like nobody's business. He can obviously sculpt like nobody's business. He knows how to do visual effects in movies. He's probably the kind of person that if you hand him a, a violin, he'd figure it out in a half hour and write you a symphony. Probably. Yeah. There's there's an artistic quality to these sculpts that are just the the gold neck dancer to me is just 
the the body language to it is is exquisite. It's just obvious. Like that's an artist. That's not uh, an effects guy who just hacked something out. Um, even even the rock wart, uh, the the rock lobster, whatever the heck you want to call it, like that thing is is amazing as a sculpture. Like it's not it's it's not happenstance. It feels like it has anatomy. It feels like it has purpose. Um, they're the the stoic nobility in the weak way you know we we just released our replica of that scanned off that real prop go to regalrobot.com find the archive collection page you'll there's pictures and there's only i think there's like eight or nine left in the ken ralston uh signature series of that piece in case anybody likes it the the look of that thing is so cool the nobility of it is just really really neat and it's got such a great vibe and that, yeah, it really, it's clear, like, there was thought put into the expression and the character of these, and not just the anatomy. We've, we've now talked about quite a few folks. Uh, we now go to the two people who really started the creature crew for Return of the Jedi. Uh, we have Chris Wayless, who was the the person who was originally tapped to set up, physically set it up, you know, set up the space, start hiring people, etc. And Phil Tippett, who actually ran the crew when the time came. Chris, you know, at the same time as he was working on this, was working on Dragon Slayer and the melting heads for Raiders of the Lost Ark. No big deal. No big deal. Uh, and he said he did most of his designs on his lunch break or, you know, late, late at night after he was getting home and that he would go to one set, set, uh, set up a shaft for Dragon Slayer, go to another set to do some preparation work on the, the melting heads, then go up to grab a bite to eat and sculpt while he's eating. Then he'd put something in the oven and he'd go downstairs, he'd work on a melting head, then come back, take it out of the oven, you know, and just... All of this, this craziness to try and make these happen. Uh, he did do a couple of takes on the Ewoks. He said he was going for a very kind of wombat look. Um, he did a bust and a full figure that are both have, you know, very obviously sculpted by the same person, same look. Uh, he did Toothface. He did the Mole, Elam. He did Squidhead. He did Ishi Tib. And he did Reyes, all of which are in that. Uh, from Star Wars Indiana Jones book shown clearly, all of which are in the Chronicles shown clearly. That's an amazing run right there. Yeah, and all of, all of those, yeah, again, long player alien species. Yeah, yeah. Beyond just Return of the Jedi, those you know these are these are showing up in the prequels. They're showing up in the sequels and and beyond. And of all of those, uh, Chris said which one his favorite was, and to hear that, you want to go to the Blast Points Presents interview with Chris Wales. <laughs> you know what's really cool too when you just when you stand back and you look at the design of like the Ishi Tib, the Reyes, the Squid Head, and even like Elam and Toothface. There's there's a similar kind of like almost triangular, like very sh- angular shape to all of their heads it makes me think of the other big thing that everyone knows chris for the gremlins you think of the design of the mogwai or the gremlin and it's again it's a very like shape the the ears 
very clear, distinct shapes of heads. Yeah. That first movie, Gremlin, in particular, it's each of the forms is incredibly independent of the other forms. So, you know, the brows are very big and heavy and, you know, they have real lines of demarcation between the brows and the ears or the brows and the the lower part of the face. The mouth, the indent on the mouth is so extreme and pressed that it really separates the mouth from the rest of the head, kind of like the Ishi Tib here. You know, there's, I, I can see that. I, I can see where you're getting at. I also think, you know, his sculpting in general is very natural. It's really good. Um, the Ishi Tib is great. Reese, which comes out again, you know, it'll be tomorrow for anybody listening to this on Tuesday. Uh, that Reese sculpt, go to our site and look at it. That'll be the best look you've ever had at it. Scanned right off the real thing. The uh, wrinkling and musculature below the eyes uh, is great. The sort of goat-like bovine sort of mouth is really cool. And then under the mouth and around his jowls, he has these these pouchy things that just have such great weight to them. It's a really, really cool maquette uh, for that reason. Yeah, that's that the the sculpting style. You know, I, I definitely get his sort of creature style. He's also, you know, his whole thing is he likes things that read fast. And so that lends itself to more extreme sort of sculpts as well um, and doing things that are bigger and angular and more bold. Um, and that really shows up here. The other really neat thing with his too is a lot of times with a maquette, you can tell it's a sketch or a, it's a progression where his maquettes almost look more finished than the final masks did. Almost, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move to uh, to the man of the hour himself, Mr. Phil Tippett. Oh, gosh. <laughs> there's so many. I think with, with Phil, there's so many. And we, we've talked about his designs so much on previous episodes. I think... Some of the highlights, some of the Phil Tippett highlights, because, oh, my God, what an imagination on that guy. Can can we rattle off just which ones made it into the movie out of the ones he did? I, like, I'd love to get a count here. So what do we got? They made Six Eye, right? Six Six got nixed. Yeah. But they made him. Snooty. Yeah. Miss, Miss Snooty. Akbar. Rancor. Hermiotl. Efantmon. Bubo, technically Ula, I'm up to eight. Jabba, Max Rebo, that's 10. Bib Fortuna, 11. The Road Creature, 12. Amana Man, Nikto. I mean, that's an incredible amount of very iconic characters in there, in terms of aliens anyway. Very few of those are forgettable. You know, like, I mean, 6-6 I, got nixed, but other than him, I mean, Akbar, Rancor, Efontman, Bib Fortuna, Jabba the freaking Hut. I mean, those are, I don't think you get any heavier than those. No. It's like the greatest hits of Star Wars creatures. Absolutely. And it's like we were talking about in the beginning that with Jabba's Palace is, like you said, not from the imagination of just one person. And it's almost like the output of just Phil Tippett is not from the imagination of just one person, even though it is. Right? 
Oh, it's nuts. <laughs> Every day of the week is a different Phil Tippett. That's right. It just shows up. Um, I mean, all of these are such major creatures. There's not a ton to say about them. You have things that are where they vary and stuff. You know, uh, size noodles is naked. Um, and she's got a little bit more of an uh, of shorter arms and a little more awkward stance, like kind of a little more weird, which is, you know, hey, it's Phil. Akbar, pretty close to the final. Um, what's neat about Akbar is the maquette looks very much like the version that Stuart Freeborn made of Akbar, which was a, uh, a test that apparently did not go well enough and that Phil then eventually wound up making the final. Rancor, spot on to the final design. I mean, you could have put that in the movie like that. And what's neat there is when you look at Ralph McQuarrie's painting of the Rancor facing off with Luke in the pit, it's he painted this maquette. It was, you know, 100% he's looking at a picture of that maquette or he's looking at the maquette when he was doing it. His Ewok, which we didn't mention, and this also is in the From Star Wars Indiana Jones book, he has this awesome caveman looking Ewok. It's a troll or whatever. You know, and his whole thing was like it had to look like it could eat people. And uh, mission accomplished, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would not want to be, you know, tied to a stick in front of a fire with that guy. Naturally, the most Phil thing out of all of these, and this is on the Smithsonian cover, it's in the panning shot. There's just a straight up dragon head. <laughs> I mean, basically the precursor to the Vermithrax from Dragon Slayer, which was happening around the same time, uh, right there. Let's see here. Uh, the the almost Jabba's, of course, too snail-like, too human. Come on. Everybody knows him. Uh, Phil's take on too snail-like, by the way, you know, so Mark Hamill always calls it that in the documentary. Uh, what Phil says that George said when he showed it to him, uh, he's like, I showed him that one. He went, that's just horrible. Um, <laughs> And let me tell you, so we we have a digital scan of that and our, uh, with with Christian at the shop, uh, who's our, our digital guy at the shop every day, he, he and I were flipping, looking, looking at that scan and just zooming in and looking at all these different places on it. He's like, it gets worse the more you look at it. <laughs> you know? And he's like, everywhere, you know, the more you examine, you find something new that's that's just terrible. And he's like, he, but he goes like, but I love it. You know, <laughs> so he's one of us. But, you know, the, the thing's got multiple feet, like six feet. He's got rows of teats uh, with nippular things happening. He's got sacks hanging off of his neck. He's got a giant scar down his face and one dead eye because the scar runs right through it. There are barnacles on his face. On his back, he's got spine nubs showing through. I mean, he's just he's, he looks he's almost painful to look at. Um, and he does have, it, for lack of a better word, it looks like a butt crack on the end of him with ooze coming out of it. Like, it's <laughs> like, Phil, what were you doing? And of course, there's ooze dripping out of his mouth and on his chest. It's like, come on. It's just horrible. But it's amazing. You know? <laughs> and, and I want it. Um, I'm so, it's so wild to think that we got to see that up close, you know, like that's, it's crazy to me. Probably the coolest unmade one from Phil, though, is Cobra Woman. Oh, Cobra Woman. Which doesn't exist right now. Or if it does, it's, you know, it's tucked away in some collection somewhere. My guess on her is that, uh, so Stuart Freeborn made a prosthetic for Cobra Woman or started one and it got abandoned. 
my guess is that someone probably sent them the maquette over to the UK art department uh, or the UK effects department. And then they used that when they were trying to make that uh, full scale prosthetic and then just abandoned it. And, you know, it probably just got trashed with other stuff from the movie, or maybe it went to, you know, went home with someone or got saved from a skip. Hopefully someone saved it and exists out there. The thing like looking at the output from Phil Tippett, which just so bonkers also is the fact that he made Max Rebo, Red Ball Jet, whatever, blue and Animana Man, like banana yellow and size noodles. Like there's splashes of color. The pink Bim Fortuna, the bright green on Cobra Woman. Yeah. And and like you talk about like with the with the Gamorians, like with, that it would make a better toy. Mm. I don't think he was thinking toys, but they made awesome toys. They were colorful. Yeah. <laughs> Even now to this day, it's something about Star Wars aliens that they're colorful and they're weird and they're, you know. <laughs> No, and it's funny for a guy who does a lot of dark, disturbing type art, you know, Max Rebo and uh, Size Noodles and stuff are uh, much more fun. They're they're weird, but they're not they're, they they have an, uh, a whimsy about them. Yeah, they're, they're not they didn't walk right out of Mad God. Correct. Yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about there is there is a sculpture with the word Womp Rat on the base. Um, and I, I'll have to ask Phil if he knows the story behind that. Um, but that's one that he says he did, and it is at the archives, and it's among all the Return of the Jedi creatures. So, you know, maybe it was one of those designs, and maybe I have maybe there's there's a very small handful of them that just never made that panning shot. So that might just be one of them. It, it's it's just so neat to think about because like even going now into like bad batch and the animated stuff and in mandalorian the like we said the long playing aliens like we everyone you get rodians you get greedos you get godals you get biffs and stuff but really it's a lot of these return of the jedi aliens the skiff guards you see a lot of yeah it's that wild varied imagination of this what really sounds like was kind of a small group of people. Yeah. Exploding creativity with like what Sculpey and clay and, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And here we are, what, 40 years later. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, I just, I love being able that you were able to put names with these designs where we know who to give credit to who to give thanks to because we love these aliens so much and it's just so great to be able to say that's a dave carson that's a ken ralston that's a phil tippett you know absolutely and now all the people who have listened can say the same thing uh and they can give their thanks as well and that's just awesome i i hope that there will be a day where we can update this where we can say, hey, remember how there was 10 left that we didn't know for sure who sculpted? Well, we we identified one more, you know, like that's when when these things get crossed off, man, I get so freaking excited. Um, the last trip to the archives, we uh, went in with a real intent to figure out as many of what of the remaining ones as possible. 
And I want to say we had, I think we identified another like 10 or 12 of them on that trip. And it really like, it, it got us down to almost nothing left, which was just so cool. But, you know, to, to be sitting there and, you know, the, the big thing on this trip was like, okay, the ones that we don't know, I want to know what's on the bottom of them because that, and sure enough, by doing that, we turned them over and there were a handful of them that had initials on the bottom. It was like, ah, thank goodness. Yeah. Dan Howard. Thank you. You know, <laughs> Dave Carson with his little DC. God, oh, good one, buddy. You know, <laughs> like, so yeah, it's, it's been such a fun process. I just love the fact that it's like, it took all this time and you're like, maybe we should check the bottom. <laughs> yeah, well, the funny thing is going in, you, you're not, you know, sometimes you're not really like, uh, there's, there's times there where you're able to get more hands on than others. And, you know, with some of the more fragile stuff, it's like the archive staff has to move them for you. And we're there and we're photographing them and we're scanning them and we're doing color matches and measurements and stuff. But like initially we weren't even looking for the sculptors. You know, we were thinking about the art and it was really during that process that we started to go like, hey, wait a minute. You know, let's go back to those first you know, that first batch that we scanned a couple of months ago and let's let's really examine these for who did them. And what's nice is, you know, the archives folks love this information too. And they uh, love to upgrade their database and to add more information to it. So, you know, we've been sharing whatever we find out with them as well to help kind of maintain this record of these things uh, going forward and, and where they came from and who did it. And like you said, who we have to thank. So, you know, from us to them, thank you. This is so fun and so cool. Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. All right, everybody. You know the deal with Apple Podcasts reviews when you get done listening to this we would love it if you'd go over there and write something nice about the show it helps more people find the show when they're looking for star wars podcasts and we love reading your reviews we've just gotten some great ones some really 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 nice things that you folks have said so keep it going 
Let's get some more and help us move up those bizarre Apple podcast charts. And check out our website, blastpointspodcast.com, and make sure you're following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're in the Super Chill group. (laughs) And hey, speaking of groups, Regal Robot just started the Regal Robot Fans and Collectors Showcase group. Uh, Go find us there. If you like this kind of stuff, oh boy, you're going to like the stuff we have in the works. And it's going to be the place where you see the stuff before anybody else. Um, If you want to be one of the collectors that picks up some of the stuff we have or you just don't want to miss out when something comes out just in case uh, go to regalrobot.com and join our newsletter Uh, we don't spam people but we do send out messages anytime something new is coming out and if you just want to see it or if you want to own it uh, that's the best way to get that information and just follow us we're at regal robot and at tom spina designs pretty much everywhere go find us find our uh our youtube channel and subscribe over there uh if you like the interviews with the uh creators and stuff and obviously go find the blast points presents versions of these and uh give them give them a rating give them a review and and tell your friends uh you heard it here we're just honored to put out those uh, those chats you do with folks tom this the more people that get to hear those amazing talks because you're, you're like a regular Ken Ralston, too. Not only are you doing a million things, but you're really good at interviewing those people. <laughs> Thanks. I I just try and have a chat. Like, I just, I, I, I think I'm lucky that we speak the same language. You know, like, I have that, the effects background. I know, I know what they're doing and where it comes from, even if I can't do it as well, <laughs> you know, because these guys are outstanding. I, I think, yeah, like, I, I try to just speak the language, if nothing else, and just hope for the best. So that's very nice to hear. I'm glad folks like it. And I really appreciate you guys sharing that stuff, too. I'll do one final plug for uh, Reese, which is coming out tomorrow. And in about two weeks, we have our gaffy sticks coming out, our gaffy stick prop replicas. So for all the folks out there who love to collect props, uh, you don't want to miss these. Uh, they're lineage pieces. One is scanned off the original A New Hope uh, stick. The other is out of the same molds from the ones we made for the Mandalorian show. Uh, it's exactly the sort of stuff we like to do. We're giving people artifacts. We're helping people create their own archive of Star Wars stuff. And um, and it's just it's exciting and it's fun and I love seeing it in people's collections and I can't wait to get more stuff out there for them. I can't wait. And yeah, the the announcement that Regal Robot is going to be doing Indiana Jones stuff in the near future. It's yeah, that's that's coming soon. We'll have more information, <laughs> and one day we'll be able to talk more about it. But right now we can say yes, we will be doing that. Well, very excited. We got Indiana Jones month coming in June here on Blast Point. So we'll have to have you back. What do you know? That works out great. And who knows? Maybe we'll break out the guitar again, hopefully very soon, because we've got a lot more tracks in 1984 to go over. That's right. Absolutely. Somebody call up Phil Showstack. I literally thought you were going to say, somebody get me a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody give him a shot. So we just have so much fun talking to you every single time, Tom. Thank you so much. Same. Thank you. I look forward to the next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you.
uncertain if they had done. Chris thought it might be him. Phil thought it might be Ken. Ken says he's not sure. Ken can be Ken Ralston. Also, my cat monster has just made it into the room and he is attacking a pile of paper and a ball toy behind me. So if you hear rumbling and ruffling, that's what it is. Good boy, buddy. <laughs> um, Your cat is incredible. Are you hearing? (laughs) It's great. He's going to town. It's great. So he's got one of those spinny toys where like the ball's in a track, but like my wife put a piece of paper over it and that just changes the whole game, you know? So (laughs) now he's like, where'd the ball go? It's under the paper. Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, Made a force. Be with all. 